For those of you who are guests with us today, we're grateful that you're here. We're thankful that you're here. We as a church have been on a series that we have been calling Walk This Way, and we started this series back in uh, just after Easter, and the uh, kind of the launching verse that we've used for this series is Romans chapter 6, verse 4. So let me read that for us. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This series that we have been on for a few weeks and are going to kind of go through uh, the rest of the summer using the book of Acts as our framework is, what does it mean for us as followers of Christ to walk in this newness of life? What does it mean to walk in the reality of the resurrection and the power and all that that entails and all that that involves and all that that presents to us as followers of Christ? And so, we as Christians are called to walk, to walk in this newness of life. And as I've been preparing for uh, this teaching this morning, I have this sense, and I recognize this in my own life, that some of us would rather park in the newness of life instead of walk in the newness of life. That there's something uh, less risky about parking in the newness of life. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and I, we, uh, we bought a, a new car. It's a new car to us. It's a 2014 uh, Soul Kia, which we happen to have named Stella. So our new uh, 2014 Soul Kia, Stella, it is a new car. We needed to get rid of one car. I mean, we were ready to push that car over the cliff. I mean, it was kind of being held together by tape uh, and those kinds of things. And I know that uh, when we got this car, and the first time I actually, you know, drove it, uh, something kind of weird happened to me that I've never really experienced before. I'm driving in this car. Yeah, it's a few years old, uh, but it's new to us. I mean, we typically buy cars or have bought cars that are about eight or nine years old, and, uh, you know, we just wear them to the ground. I was actually feeling nervous driving this car. Because I was afraid that, you know, we would scratch it, we might get in an accident, someone might bump into it, and I was just like, what's going on here? This is not like me. I mean, our previous cars, I mean, if people, you know, bumped into them, hit them, we'd say, no problem, no problem, don't worry about it, it's a cosmetic upgrade for us with this bump or whatever it is. It's like, we really didn't care. Uh, but all of a sudden, it was like, ooh, geez, this is, this is brand new, it doesn't have a scratch on it. And it was like, maybe it's safer if we just park this vehicle in the garage and just leave it there. Just watch it, just observe it, because it is risky taking it out, especially a new or newer car. Because, I mean, what can happen? We can get an accident, we can get uh, bumped in in a parking lot by another vehicle. I mean, so many things can happen. And as I was thinking about this and reflecting about this, I felt that similarly, you know, we as Christians, sometimes we don't want to take the risk of walking out this life that we've been called to. We just want to park. It's safe to be parked. But you can't really park in the newness of life because you really don't experience the newness of life unless you walk in that newness of life. 
And even in Scripture, uh, 1 John puts it this way in chapter 2, that we are to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. That's pretty radical, that we are to imitate Him, that we are to reflect His character, that we are to, in fact, reproduce His ministry in, in our lives. We're to imitate Him. But we know and appreciate how we've been reminding ourselves of this over and over in this series, that to imitate anything, we need to be first intimate with it. And so, we need to be intimate with God, experience His love, and it's out of that intimacy that we can then imitate Him and walk the life that He's called us to, this newness of life. And so, as I said earlier, we've been looking at people, we've been looking at the church, we've been looking at characters in the book of Acts who have been walking out this newness of life. And allowing ourselves to be challenged, to be convicted, to be encouraged to live that way. And so today we're going to be finishing up towards the end of Acts chapter 5 and looking at a story there of some characters of how they walked out this newness of life, how they walked out in the reality that Jesus was now alive, and they weren't afraid to park themselves anywhere. In fact, it cost them a lot to walk out in faith and to be followers of Christ. So before we do that, let's pray and invite the Spirit to continue to lead us in this time of worship. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is alive, it is active. And Father, I pray that as we work our way through Your Word, that You would speak to us, that You would bring clarity, that You would bring conviction, that You would bring encouragement, that You would bring revelation, that You would bring wisdom, that You would just awaken us to Your love. And that not only would we be captured by your love, but that we would be compelled and propelled by your love to go out and walk this faith, walk in this newness of new life to the full for you. So, Spirit, have your way. You know exactly where we're at. You know what we need. So, we pray, speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. We thank you for your presence here among us. Continue to move in our hearts and in our minds, in our souls. And may your word really come alive in our hearts and in our minds this morning, in Jesus' name. So we're in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through to 42. We won't read the whole Scripture, but let me give you a sense of what's going on and then read a few pieces from Acts chapter 5. What we have going on is Peter and the apostles, they've been preaching, they've been healing people, God's been doing some miraculous things, some great things, and now they've been brought into prison. You know, they're being shut down by the religious parties, by the religious elite. We don't want this to happen. So they're imprisoned. An angel comes and sets them free, opens the prison doors and tells them, get back out there and continue to preach the gospel, continue to heal the sick, continue to do kingdom work. So out they go, and they continue to do it. And then these religious elite, these religious parties, these individuals, and I love how the the text presents this. They discover that they're no longer in prison, and the Word says they were very perplexed. You know, I would be very perplexed, too, if we put some people in prison, and then all of a sudden they're no longer there. So they discover they're actually not only out of prison, but they're back on the streets communicating, preaching the gospel. 
And so they decide to go out there and get them. But, you know, they do it quietly because they don't want a riot to break out. So they bring them all back in, kind of in front of a, of a council, so to speak. And they say, Peter, apostles, what on earth are you guys doing? I mean, what problem do you have with what we've been trying to communicate to you? What problem do you have with don't do this? And so Peter, his reply, and let me read to you these verses, Acts 5, 29 to 32. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So the conversation continues on. And then this reputable, recognized teacher of the law called Gamaliel kind of rises up and says, hang on, folks. And this is what he says, verses 38 to 39. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And Gamaliel gives some examples, and he says, let's just let them go. If it's of God, we're fighting against God. If it's not of God, it's eventually going to fizzle out. So they send them back out, and, but before they do that, they give them a good beating. They give them a good beating, and off they go. Now, we know the rest of the story. I mean, they're continually preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Now, for some of us, it's hard to resonate and to connect with this story because it is somewhat uh, unusual. One, for some of us, it is unusual to have angels showing up in our lives and communicating to us. It happens. It continues to happen. And some of us would say, yes, we would love to have that happen in our lives. That would be awesome. I could use an angelic visitation where I am communicated the Word of God with great clarity or that the prison doors of my life, whatever those prison doors are, are broken open and I'm able to walk out. But a lot of us can't resonate with necessarily the beating. I mean, that's primarily for Christians who, who proclaim the gospel in, you know, the Middle East, certain parts of China, certain parts of South Africa. That, we just don't connect with that. I mean, there is obviously persecution, verbal, physical, that happens even here in the States, no doubt, when we share the gospel. But there's something about this story that we may not connect with. And what is God trying to say to us through these verses here to the family of RCC in 2017, the month of June, on this particular day. What is God trying to communicate to us, share with us through these verses? So what I'd like to do is to do a couple of things in the remainder of our time in our teaching, and it's this, to step back and to say a few things about persecution, about suffering, about trials, about tests, and then I want to zone in specifically as it relates to suffering, persecution, trials, and tests when we are proclaiming the gospel and the role that those have in us proclaiming the gospel 
even though there is a significant cost to that. A number of years ago, probably five, six years ago, I was going through a really tough time in my life. Just circumstances, you know, things just weren't going the way I thought they were going. Uh, I thought I had heard from God. It wasn't an angelic visitation, but I thought there was a lot of clarity with what God had said, and it was confirmed by other people close to me uh, in my journey and my faith walk with the Lord. And it's, but the circumstances uh, were quite testing, were quite trying, and, you know, experiencing suffering in a variety of ways. And I said, God, what's, what's up with this? What is going on? And so during this season, you know, I'm reading Scripture, and then I come along this story of Paul. This is later on in Acts 27, kind of giving you a little bit of a taste of what's to come in our series. But Acts 27, the story is, you know, Paul's been imprisoned, and he's now being taken to Rome uh, to come uh, on trial before Caesar. I mean, this is a huge opportunity for Paul to be communicating and declaring the gospel at the, at the center, at the hub of the Roman world, of the known world at the time. So they're off on a ship. And if you know the story, what ends up happening is they get shipwrecked, and they, by God's grace, make it to shore onto this island called Malta. Now, let me read to you a few scriptures from that story and share what God did and continues to do through these verses in my life. So, this is Paul sharing with uh, his shipmates. There's a sense that, yes, a storm is coming. Uh, Yes, it looks like we're not going to make it out, but God will prevail. So, hang in there. So, this is what he says. Acts 27, 23 to 26. For this very night there stood before me, and this is Paul speaking, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. He said, And do not be afraid, Paul. This are the, these, pardon me, are the words of the angels communicating them to Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But, but we must run aground on some island. Here's, here's the deal. And having been a Christian for over 40 years, in ministry for over 30 years, this is my sense that life comes along, God brings clarity, God speaks, He gives revelation, He gives wisdom, He gives a very specific purpose for you to follow and live out, and you're doing it. But there's this but that always comes along in your life. And in this case for Paul, it's but we must run aground on some island. Now, some of you this morning may be run aground on some island, and you're experiencing tests, you're experiencing trials, you're experiencing suffering, you're experiencing frustration. It's like, I thought I was going to Rome. I thought this was clear. I thought this was certain, and that God was going to prevail. I mean, if it's of God, it's not going to fail, right? And we obey God. We don't obey man. So I'm all on board, God, but I'm on this island. Now, it's interesting that this island that these guys end up at is the island of Malta. And so I started doing some studying, some research, and it's interesting that the word Malta 
can also mean honey. And as I read that and studied that, it was as if the Lord, not as if he did, I recalled those words of the psalmist that your word is like honey to my lips. And God said to me in that moment and continues to say this to me in those seasons, that when you go in those seasons where you're stranded on an island, that you've been shipwrecked onto an island, however that came about, whatever that currently looks like, that's the place that I want you to taste me. That's the place that I want you to taste my word like you've never tasted it before. Remember that walking this way is about imitating Jesus. It's about living like Jesus. But we can't imitate if we don't have that intimacy. And God shows up in our lives. And I know we can have debates till the cows come home about, well, did God initiate that? Did God allow that? How did that happen? The fact is, it happened, and God uses those times of suffering for sweet intimacy with Him. It's an invitation to come deep with Him and deep in His Word. And so, if that's what you're going through, whatever the circumstances are, and it feels like suffering, it feels like a test, it could very well be an invitation from God to come deeper into Him and to taste the sweetness of His Word. And as I was going through this season, some really good friends of ours, uh, I shared this story with them. And they gave me this little honey jar. And I have this on my desk in my home office, and it's right there. And it just constantly reminds me that in any season, but particularly in dark seasons of the soul, dark seasons of the night, that reminds me that God's Word is there for me to experience. It's like suffering gives us the opportunity to do a deep dive into God. A lot of us, if the analogy of parking doesn't work, some of us, it's like we like to snorkel but we're not going to do a deep dive. We don't like a deep dive, but it's in the deep dive that the treasures are found. That's where we experience God in the most profound ways. That's been my experience, and this is the experience of these individuals in the book of Acts. Well, let's transition here real quickly and finish things off as it relates to suffering and persecution and tests and trials, specifically in the context of sharing the gospel. I mean, here are Peter and the apostles, I mean, they're just, the Scriptures say, you know, get on the rooftops and just declare and shout to the nations and shout to the byways and highways the gospel and the good news. But these guys are going up on the roof, they're getting knocked down, thrown off the roof, they're getting back up on the roof, they're continually communicating, they get knocked down off the roof, they're back up. They're, they, are, they are committed dudes. They're what we call, there's a book that came out a few years ago, a bestseller in the business industry called Dying on Empty. Dying on Empty. And the, and the idea, and, and the guy's a Christian guy, but he's writing to a business audience, and he's saying, at the end of my life, I will have want to spend everything. I want to lay it all out and be embracing the adventure that God has been given to me in my context, and I will not hold on to anything. I will let go of everything so that I really die on empty, that there is no gas in me, that I am spent for the Lord. Now, yes, God continues to fill us, and you want to end your lives full of the Holy Spirit, but that's not what the author's getting at. It's like, I'm willing to lose it all for Christ. I'm willing to lose it all for Christ. I love uh, Jim Elliott, who is a well-known uh, missionary, martyr. And his classic quote, some of you can 
come to mind right away, that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, we cannot do that naturally. We cannot do that as humans without Christ. And so, I believe that even in the process of suffering, persecution, and trials, in the context of communicating God's Word, that as we go out, yes, it may not be South Africa, yes, it may not be Asia, yes, it may not be the Middle East, but are we engaging in the opportunity to communicate the gospel? And sometimes God comes along in some shape, way, or form, directly, indirectly, He allows it. Again, I haven't figured it all out, and I probably won't this side of heaven, and that's the problem. You know, we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we try to figure things out, so we keep on going back to that tree. You know, there's days days that it's like, God, I'm glad you've got it figured out, and maybe one day it'll make sense to me, it'll make sense to us, and we'll I'll be happy. But right now, we're not there yet. Just encourage you, don't eat from that tree. It wasn't a good idea. still isn't a good idea. So when we try to figure out God, sometimes we run into problems. So... Let's not do that. Okay? Cool. And those of you who know me, I like to study. I like to figure things out. I'm all over that. So let's not throw out the baby with the dirty bathwater. Okay? Thank you. I, I think there's this tension, and we were talking about this in our uh, life group, uh, city group, a couple of weeks ago. You know, this, this tension where we've got the miraculous. We've got God intervening. And then right Next to it, we've got suffering or what feels like God's non-intervention. You know, it's like, God, I mean, we'll find out next week or whenever we get to Acts chapter 6 and look at the life of Stephen. I mean, he, he's stoned to death. I mean, God, if you can deliver people out of prison, I mean, at least when it comes to the beatings or when the stones are being thrown, couldn't you just kind of convert those stones and just, poof, they turn into sand? Or they just hit you kind of as large marshmallows? I mean, it's like God does the miraculous, and then all of a sudden, the next thing, these people are beaten, some are killed, some are stoned. What's going on here? And it's like, if God can open prison doors, I'm sure that he can turn stones into dust. I mean, that would be pretty cool, trying to stone them, and every time you throw the rock and it's released from your hand, I think that could probably lead some people to Christ. Wouldn't you? Or they're thrown as, you know, marshmallows, and we catch them, and we say, hey, let's have a s'mores party for Christ and lead people to Jesus. See, there's a tension there, but I think there's a reason that persecution and suffering is there as kind of like the, the brother or the sibling to signs and wonders and the miraculous, and how we live those out together sometimes is challenging. I love how Paul puts it here in Philippians chapter 3. Verses 7 to 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. There are actually some biblical New Testament scholars that would say that the word rubbish is actually BS in our day and age. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just telling you, 
That's the word that Paul uses here if he were to use it today. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And I love this here in verse 10. I love it, but I also wrestle with it. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Walking in the power of his resurrection. Walking in the newness of life. Yes, 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 we're all over that. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I wish that was an option. That by any means possible... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So there's this relationship that Paul has with the power of resurrection, the miraculous, the signs and wonders, God moving in, healing people, intervening. And then there's this, the sufferings of Jesus, the tests and the trials. And I want to embrace that and I want to enter into that because I get to know Christ in a way that I would not otherwise get to know. And But it feels like God's kind of non-intervention, that he's kind of silent, that he's kind of remote, that he's kind of distant. And, I mean, how do we live with these two? Well, I believe that when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel, there's something just as powerful as someone being raised from the dead before your eyes, and someone who has been pronounced, you're going to be dead in six months, and live in such a way that demonstrates the beauty and the power of God, and that that becomes just as much a sign and wonder to the power of God, even if that person dies, to someone being raised from the dead. And we have to hear these words from Paul, Colossians 1, 24 to 25. Hear these words. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known to the world. Amen. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Hold on. Full stop. What is going on here? I don't think anything was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. I don't think there was anything lacking in the death of Christ. And in a sense, there wasn't. I mean, he paid for the price of our sins. He became sin. It's all dealt with. So what is Paul talking about that in the context of suffering, I am making up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ, especially in the context of making known to the world around us the Word of God, the good news, the gospel. How do we walk that out? Well, let me share a quote from you from John Piper. There's some things I don't like about John Piper, of what he teaches and shares, and there's some things I love about John Piper. This is one of the things that I love about John Piper. So, let me share this quote. Paul's sufferings, or pardon me, Paul's suffering complete Christ's afflictions not by adding to their worth, but by extending them to the people that we're meant to save. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they are deficient in worth, as though they could not sufficiently cover the sins of all who believe. What is lacking is that the infinite value of Christ's afflictions is not known and trusted in the world. 
These afflictions and what they mean are still hidden to most peoples. And God's intention is that the mystery be revealed to the nations, to all the nations. So the afflictions of Christ are lacking in the sense that they are not seen and known and loved among the nations. They must be, and here's the point, they must be carried by the ministers of the gospel. And those ministers of the gospel complete what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ by extending them to others. And what ends up happening is that as we are the medium, the ambassadors of communicating the gospel, because we're ultimately about, I want to obey God, I don't want to be trapped by the fear of man, woman, people, and I know that what God has planted will ultimately prevail, and I believe that, I struggle with that, I wrestle with that, Sometimes I just want to stay in a parked mode or a stalled-out mode. I don't want to take the risk. But the adventure of experiencing Christ is, is out there. It's out there on the streets. It's out there on the highways. It's out there on the byways. It's out there in the community where we can bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and communicate that. We're grateful that we do have opportunities to do that, and we're not going to be stoned. We're not going to be imprisoned. Though that does happen in parts of North America, it does happen. We need to be aware of that. And so wherever you're at in life's journey, wherever you're at in life's journey today, the call for us is to walk, to walk out, and to kind of go out of our comfort zone, whatever our comfort zone is right now, and to go into the zone that is what someone once said, kind of our courage zone, where God wants us to have full trust in Him, full confidence in Him, believe in Him. But there's this field between going out of our comfort zone and then ultimately going into that courage zone of taking our risks for Jesus, spending it all, dying it on empty, is what's called the groan zone. That we've got to groan, that we've got to go through this territory that feels like suffering, that feels like tests, that feels like trials, before we can experience the adventure of full courage. The choice is up to you. We talk a lot here about our identity as followers of Christ. Yes, we are children loved of God. We are loved beyond our wildest imaginations. There's nothing, that nothing that compares to that kind of love. And that God is merciful, and that God is full of grace. But another part of our identity, and the word was used in today's passage and is used throughout Acts, is that we are witnesses. The word witness, for those of you who've done some study here, literally means martyr. We are called to be martyrs for Christ. Now, for some, it may result in death. For some of us, it may not. It may not. But are we martyring our way into the world where we're dying to the things that we hold on to so that the space and the capacity and the bandwidth exists in our lives for the gospel to be communicated and shared. The invitation is yours. The adventure for each and every one of us to engage as individuals and as a family is there. Some of you are taking it. Praise God. Continue to do it. Some of you are shying away from it. Don't shy away from it. Engage it. Embrace it. Because for that is where life is found. When you lose your life, what happens? In Christ, you you find it. Do you want to find it? Do you want to find it? 
Do you want to find it? Do you want to find it? Do you want to find it? My hope is that the answer is yes, I want to find it all the more. Let's stand and pray.